Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. Coronavirus cases are on the rise again in the Bay Area, and some counties are imposing new restrictions. We'll get the details. But first, President-elect Joe Biden said yesterday that Donald Trump's refusal to concede the election is an embarrassment, adding that it will not help the president's legacy. And a Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and other Republican leaders support the president in disputing the election results. Biden's transition team is being refused access to classified information and unable to embed in government agencies. That's all next, after this. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. President Trump's refusal to concede President-elect Biden's Electoral College victory continues as his campaign pursues a long-shot legal strategy to challenge the results. The president's intransigence, which is complicating the Biden team's effort to carry out an orderly transition, has so far drawn the support of Senator Mitch McConnell and other Republican leaders, including Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. Today, Georgia's Republican Secretary of State announced that the state will conduct a hand recount of the presidential race, where Biden currently holds a 14,000-vote lead. Meanwhile, President Trump continues to remove senior officials at the Department of Defense a day after he fired Secretary Mark Esper. We're going to talk about the latest developments. Joining us to do that is Seema Mehta, political reporter with the LA Times, and good morning and welcome to Forum. Thank you for having me on. Glad to have you. Also glad to have Ron Elving, senior editor and correspondent on the Washington desk for NPR News, and welcome, Ron. Good to be with you, Michael. Let me begin, Ron, if I may, with you. There are recount demands, and as I said, one is going to go on in Georgia. They haven't ever amounted to much uh, historically in presidential races, but I wanted to talk about these allegations uh, as essentially a number of suits have gone forward. Five have been filed. Uh, and at this point, uh, several have been thrown out, but uh, they appear to be utterly baseless. Uh, get us up to date. There are two criteria for these kinds of challenges. One would be whether or not they were actually based in a true problem, a true complaint, something that actually happened. For example, we know one complaint was based on a Michigan individual and another on a Pennsylvania individual who have since recanted their stories. So the first criterion is just simple fact. Is there some reason to think that there's something wrong here? That's one. The second is whether or not a particular challenge would affect enough ballots to make any difference. And we don't seem to really have an affirmative answer to either of those two questions. Uh, the president's people have asked for or, 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 or basically filed for 
a recount in the state of Wisconsin, where the margin is a little over 20,000 votes. Uh, the last time there was an election decided by that amount was the governor's election there in 2018. And that was, of course, Scott Walker, very well-known national figure in the Republican Party. And he looked at 20,000 votes as a loss margin and said, there's no recounting that. That's way too far outside the margin. And he knows what he's talking about, and he's reconfirmed that since. So these are largely fanciful, both in terms of fact and in terms of possible impact. And in the meantime, uh, Seymour Meta, the Trump administration is blocking transition, or at least certainly not certifying, and that means a withholding of funds and intelligence briefing books and office space and all kinds of things, which, uh, as I said earlier, uh, President-elect Biden called an embarrassment. Uh, where are we on that? I mean, that's a, it's a real problem, and the longer it continues, the greater of a problem it will be. Uh, the the President-elect's team is trying to do what it can, you know, for example, announcing the coronavirus task force on Monday. Um, so they're trying to do whatever they can sort of outside of the system. But, I mean, some of this is really critical. I mean, if you look back to 9-11 and the um, reports after 9-11, one of the concerns was that because of the prolonged recount and legal battle between Bush versus Gore in 2000, that uh, President-elect George W. Bush did not have uh, access to the transition uh office, et cetera, funds, et cetera, until intelligence briefings, um, until late, um, mid or late December. And there's there some concerns that that, you know, was one of the problems that, you know, sort of, not that it led to 9-11, but that was one of the concerns that maybe, you know, that something could have been caught um, if that transition had happened a little bit sooner. Um, so I think that this is the longer, every day it goes on, the long, every week it goes on, the greater problem it is, because there's so much that is going to be on the president and elect's desk, you know, in terms of personnel moves, I'm just in terms of, you know, getting up to speed on national security issues, you know, things that you don't fully know about until you're the president. Um, and it's, you know, January 20th is coming upon us really quickly. So it's like every day this goes on longer, the greater problem it is. And a lot of it, I believe, uh, is on the shoulders of Emily Murphy of General Services. She has to sign off on this and hasn't so far. That's correct. And she's clearly taking her cues from the administration. And also, I mean, if you look at Republican leadership, they've probably backed Trump. And the, the question is, how long do they continue to? Um, how long do they? I, I mean, as, as we've talked about earlier, you know, there's all these lawsuits that have been filed. They've largely been kicked out. Um, there's I think if you look at the polling and just if you look at the numbers, there's growing certainty. You know, Joe Biden was elected president and he's going to be sworn in on January 20th. So the question is, how long does Republican leadership continue to back President Trump in you know, in not conceding this race. And speaking about Republican leadership backing President Trump, Ron Elving, uh, you have Attorney General Bill Barr essentially weaponizing the Department of Justice to investigate fraud claims, and the federal prosecutors have been given the green light to pursue allegations of, well, what they call voter tabulation in uh, irregularities. Uh, this is despite the pandemic, and uh, this is before the results are being certified. Yes, the... Orders that have been given to DOJ essentially are to investigate substantial allegations. And that would be about what you would expect from Bill Barr, that he would do what the president wanted him to do. No doubt there has been pressure brought on all of these cabinet-level officers by the president. They waited to see what his attitude would be. They gave him a few days to essentially get over it, and the president did not. So the president is insisting on carrying out this resistance and uh, in a sense, it's a bit of a charade, but on another level, it is dangerous because there are important things that need to be going forward in the transition. But let's just talk about Bill Barr. Bill Barr has told his people, get out there and find something if that is a substantial something. But he has not said, go out and find something or else. He has not done what 
did happen in the Department of Justice back in George W. Bush's day, which was an order that went out telling every U.S. attorney, especially in big cities, to find voter fraud. Find it. You have to find it. And when people pushed back and said they couldn't, they were fired. So we're not quite to that ground yet. I think it's important to parse Barr's statements very carefully. It is alarming, though, Ron, that uh, Richard Pilger, the head of the election crimes branch, has stepped down and stepped down presumably because of this. And uh, we also have suddenly a lot of people, um, almost a house cleaning in the Department of Defense where Mark Esper was fired, uh, or at least a gutting of the Department of Defense. It's getting a lot of people very nervous uh, and concerned and anxious. And, you know, I don't want to amplify this to any great degree, but it's understandable. You've also had... Um, well, NSA General Counsel uh, Michael Ellis has been hired to, uh, at least temporarily, but Michael Cooperberg, I'm thinking of Michaels now, uh, who is a climate scientist, has also stepped down. There's a lot of changes going on. There's a lot of rumors about people stepping down, like Christopher Ray and uh, Gina Halsberg. Yes, I don't think they will step down voluntarily. I think both of those individuals feel that they have a long-term tenure on their jobs. Both of them were given those jobs by President Trump. And it is known that Christopher Wray has displeased the president by not producing the case that the president was looking for uh, with respect to how the entire Mueller investigation finally uh, was, was originally, rather than finally, originally begun. Uh, the president had a particular view of that. He wanted that to be reality. And that was not what the FBI produced, because apparently, according to the Senate Intelligence Committee led by Republicans, there isn't a case there. So all of these people have displeased the president. That goes for Mark Esper as well, who was critical of the president back in June when there were people protesting outside the White House and the president wanted to use the Pentagon against them, wanted to use armed services, active armed services against them. Uh, that was part of the problem with Mark Esper. And the people that are being replaced in the Pentagon down the road are very interesting, or down the power structure are very interesting as well. The um, retired three-star Admiral Joseph Kernan, uh, who was a naval SEAL officer, Navy SEAL officer, and had served as Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, uh, is being replaced by a 34-year-old who most recently was uh, an acting Assistant Secretary for Special Operations, uh, 34 years old. Uh, this is the sort of thing that gets people's attention. Also, uh, a former aide to Devin Nunes, the California congressman who was such a great defender of the president in the impeachment matter. Uh, one of his aides is now being given an important job. Uh, there, there are a number of people of very little experience but great demonstrated loyalty to the president who are suddenly popping up in these acting positions or in temporary positions. They're Trump loyalists for the most part, and uh, they're giving people a lot of pause and concern. I mean, I've even heard the C-word coup uh, raised on a number of occasions, and we can perhaps talk about that. But I want to go back to Georgia, which has been covered by Seema Mehta, who's with us, political reporter for the L.A. Times. And Seema, I'd like you to cast some light on this, because you have essentially a couple of Republicans who are running for re-election in the runoff in January, and a lot will depend on that election, including the majority, uh, who holds a majority in the Senate. Uh, but they are criticizing the Secretary of State and actually asking for a resignation of a fellow Republican Secretary of State because they believe that the election is fraudulent. Right. And this Secretary of State, as you said, is a Republican and is one of a number of Republicans um, in some of these key battleground states who have been pushing back um, against the president's claims of, uh, of voter fraud and rigged elections and inappropriate behavior. Um, so Georgia is really interesting. At first, when we um, learned that it was going to go to a recount, it was supposed to be an automatic a, a, 
scanned recount, which where you rescan all of the ballots. Um, and that was supposed to take about a week. But now that we're learning that it's going to be a hand recount, that could take so much longer. So, I mean, we were estimating that that, if that scanned recount would be done about the end of the month, like maybe a little bit after Thanksgiving, maybe a little bit before. With the hand recount, we're going well into December. So that there's even more uncertainty into this process. And if you look at recounts, I mean, there have been studies, um, this one group, Fair Count or Fair Vote, they looked at every statewide election since 2000, which is thousands and thousands of elections. And there were 31 recounts statewide that took place across the country. Of those, only three were successful. The vast majority were not successful. And the margins were far, far smaller than what you're talking about in, in Georgia or in any of these other states. Let me bring our listeners into this. Uh, what's your reaction to the day's political news? You can give us a call now, and I invite you to do that. Our toll-free number is available. It's 866-733-6786. I'll repeat that, 866-733-6786, if you'd like to join the program. And if you would, we'd like to hear from you. You can also get in touch with us, and we can hear from you on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. Talking with Seema Mehta, political reporter for the LA Times, and Ron Elving, senior editor and correspondent on the Washington Desk for NPR News. A number of emails coming in here. Let me read at least a couple of them before we go to a minute break. Nick writes, Trump's aim is to ensure sufficient level of resentment and fury is established within his base. It's a strategy that has little to do with the reality of the election. And Davey writes, uh, consider that Gore did not concede until mid-December 2000, and consider that Hillary Clinton spoke and stated the 2016 election was stolen from her. I don't want to hear Trump concede too early and then claim for the next four years that he was cheated. We'll hear from more of you uh, when we return. Um, I'm looking actually at a quick question. Maybe, Ron, you can answer. David wants to know, what recourse will President Biden have on Inauguration Day regarding Trump putting people who are loyal to him in key positions at the Pentagon? Does this pose a danger to the peaceful transition of power? We're coming up on a break here, but your thoughts. I would say that there is real concern, particularly with regard to intelligence and the Department of Defense, because if the president is planning, and I'm not saying that he is planning, but if he is planning to somehow defy uh, the decision of the Electoral College, uh, then, of course, the disposition of the Department of Defense and the Armed Services would be critical. And stay tuned. More ahead. You're listening to Forum on KQED Public Radio. I'm Michael Krasny. We've all got those parts of our house where the Internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny, and we're talking about the latest political news with Seema Mehta, political reporter for the LA Times, and Ron Elving, senior editor and correspondent on the Washington desk for NPR News. If you would like to join us, and indeed we invite you to do so, you can do that by calling in at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook, we're at KQED Forum, or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. And here's a question. Let me go to you, Seema Mehta. However unlikely, uh, suppose Trump refused to leave on January 20th, what would happen? I, mean, I think that's a great question. I mean, we've never seen that before. And um, and that's why I think this, all, this is dangerous in so many ways, because you also have, you know, 70 million Americans voted for the president. They support him. 
without him saying, you know, this election is fair, you know, we're going to have the peaceful transfer of you know, power that is like the hallmark of our democracy. Without him saying that, these people are going to continue to believe that this, or, you know, a significant number of them are going to continue to believe that this election was, you know, was rigged or was somehow false stolen from them. And um, so it's, I think we're sort of in unprecedented territory in terms of what really happens if the president refuses to leave. And that's why it's a great question about the Department of Defense and the military and, and you know, just, I, I, quite frankly, like, I don't know the answer to that is. And I think that's what, what we're all waiting on, you know, to see what the president's next moves are. And there's a question from a listener named Suzanne. Ron, I'm going to go to you on this. Uh, Suzanne writes, Trump is going to try anything he can to avoid the charges he will face once he is removed. And I should add, just editorially, there's been a lot of speculation about his wanting to stay in the presidency so he doesn't have to face uh, prosecutors in New York or elsewhere. But Suzanne goes on to ask, the corruption that will be discovered in the coming year will be proof the GOP needs to stand up to him. And that's really what I'd like to hear you opine on, Ron Elving, just how much is the GOP standing up to him, or if at all? We have uh, instances of people like Chris Christie and Mick Mulvaney who have said, look at the facts and we have to stand by the facts. But for the most part, he's got his troops in line, at least it seems, doesn't it? Yes, it seems. But let's, again, look very carefully at the language being used here. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, was saying that the president is within his rights to challenge these results. Well, that's fine. You go to court, get the cases heard, hear them dismissed, uh, see all of that foreclosed, do the recounts, see that the count was accurate in the first place, as, as we have every expectation it will be. And then you would turn to the president and say, Mr. President, I supported your right to challenge these results. You've done that. They've been proven. You really don't have a leg to stand on. Let's start talking about how we're going to climb down here and get you into the next phase of your life. That would be a reasonable position for Mitch McConnell to take. Why didn't he take it yesterday? Because he wants to give the president some time to play this out, to figure out his next move. And let me be blunt. There was an election yesterday afternoon in which the Senate Republicans chose their leadership team for the next Congress, the next Congress being the 117th starting in January. And Mitch McConnell wanted very much not to have a major challenge to his return as Senate Majority Leader. He and his team were reelected. And one other thing, and this is huge, Georgia, two runoff elections there where the president's supporters are absolutely critical. They are definitional to the vote that those two Republican candidates are counting on getting when those uh, uh, runoff elections are held in January, and they must stand with the president now, and that is what the Republican leadership in the Senate also believes. But at the risk of asking a kind of naive question, and I'll go to you on this, Seema Mehta, it seems to me and probably to many other people that if you're going to call an election fraudulent on the basis of uh, somehow President Trump not getting the votes that he deserved or that he should have gotten, how does that square with the fact that uh, there have been more Republicans elected in the House and almost all of the Senate incumbencies of Republicans were elected? Right. So you're somehow saying the president's election was fraudulent, but all those other elections of Republicans right. wasn't? No, that's a great point. And I think uh, someone else pointed out that a number of these people who were complaining about the media calling the race, they all when the media called their races, they were fine with it. They didn't say, oh, wait, stop counting. You know, you don't call it yet. All the votes aren't counted. Um, so I think there's a bit of hypocrisy there, honestly. Let me bring a caller on. Ross joins us from Oakland. Ross, good morning. Ross, are you there? I'm hearing wind, but I'm not hearing a voice. Uh, well, let me, uh, let's see if we can connect with Ross. Uh, Ross, are you there? Hello, I'm here. Oh, okay. My I producer said, say your name again. Somehow I wasn't being heard. Glad you're here. 
Hi, this is Ross from Oakland. I think it's time to break the glass on the fire alarm. You know, this is the Democrats bringing a knife to a gunfight, and I don't know why anyone thinks a fascist is going to just give up power. Um, they decapitated the Department of Defense, and we um, we're just standing by waiting for them to not give up power. This is outrageous. I'll take my comment off there. All right. Well, we take your comment. Uh, Want to respond to it, uh, Seema Beta? Um, I think that's a great question about you know, what do the Democrats do? How do they step up pressure? Yeah. Um, but I think, in part, they're going to be re- reliant on their Republican colleagues. And you know, you've seen a couple of Republicans who have spoken out. Mitt Romney has congratulated the uh, vice president-elect, I think, uh, Susan Collins, a couple others. But I think it will really take the Republicans to do something to, um, to move this. And they still hold, you know, they are likely to still hold the majority in the Senate. Um, and it's also a matter of convincing the president. We've seen some reporting, um, you know, out of D.C. that says you know, some of his aides are saying, you know, we're just humoring him. We're letting him tweet for a little bit where he's going to golf, you know, and that eventually, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll run through this and that we're just giving him some time. I think the longer this goes on and the more um, the more court cases that are thrown out, the more counts are shown to be legitimate, that the harder it's going to be for Republicans to continue to to say, OK, we, like, let's keep going with this. Well, here's a comment from a listener, Kyler, who writes uh, about 60 percent of Republicans accept that Joe Biden won the election. About 80 percent of all voters also down ballot Republicans perform slightly better than Trump on an average. So support for Trump's denial is not so great. Would you agree with that, Ron? It's noisy, though, and the support is coming from some people who should know better and probably do know better, but want to stay in close simpatico with those people that the president is speaking to on his Twitter feed. There are millions of Americans, and I'm not saying it's most of the 70 million who voted for him by any means, but there is a hard core within that 70 million that genuinely will follow the president wherever he goes. And so if you are planning on running for president yourself in 2024, Mike Pompeo, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, any number of others, at least half a dozen others, at least half a dozen others, then you really cannot alienate those people. You can't say something that marks you as less than loyal to Donald Trump. And here's Jim. Jim, join us. You're on the air. Welcome. Yeah, good morning, uh, Michael. Thank you. Um, once we get the Donald out of the White House, assuming he goes, well, is there some way we can keep him from maniacally tweeting every day? And also, I heard he was going to start a, a new conservative network, uh, and it'll just feed the, the fire of discontent among all the people that voted for him and all that. I just, I'm just really concerned. And when will the New York uh, AG be able to kick in you know, and prosecute him so he winds up in jail, which is where he ought to be the rest of his life. Well, let's go to the first part of your question. Seema Mehta, this is speculation, I suppose, at this point, but there has been a lot of talk of President Trump being mad at Fox Network and long thinking he should have an alternate network under his guise. uh, And, uh, you know, he's got millions and millions of people on Twitter who are tied into him. Absolutely. I mean, the idea, like, once he steps down, once he's no longer president, the idea that he's going to go away is... I mean, that's a joke. It's not happening. He has a huge platform. He has people who are very, very loyal to him, as we were just discussing. And I mean, he's going to be influential in Republican Party politics for, you know, for the, I can't see the end of it. I mean, he's, you know, his, his supporters are so passionate, even if they are not the majority of, um, of voters, his supporters are so passionate and Republican candidates are going to need him. They're going to continue to court him. They don't want him to speak out against them. So, and whether it's Twitter, whether he starts his own network, we're going to 
Donald Trump is going to be around for quite some time. And you can't what? imagine, you know, like if you look at like George W. Bush or Barack Obama, they largely faded into the, the background. Like they, they, you know, tried every now and then, obviously President Obama spoke out in this election and George W. Bush has weighed in here and there, but they haven't been like a daily presence in our lives. I don't think that's going to be the same thing with Donald Trump. Oh, George W. Bush did give legitimacy to the election. Right. He did. Uh, and did countenance it in that sense. Uh, Ron Elving, weigh in here. I think that Donald Trump is uh, not entirely prepared for what happened last week. He was believing, I believe, that he was going to get reelected. His rallies convinced him that the passion of his supporters had not diminished, and that is clearly the case, and the voting has proven that. But, of course, there was a larger turnout even among Democrats, and he's been defeated here not just by the several million that he lost by in 2016, but by five, six million and uh, something like four points, maybe five points. Uh, he's losing here as badly as Mitt Romney did in 2012. And he's frequently talked about Romney as a loser. So I don't think he was prepared for this kind of rejection. And he did not have a plan B. And now he is uh, flailing about trying to find one. And for the moment, he is getting a certain amount of, of positive reinforcement, if you will, from certain quarters for this idea of just denying that he lost. As that becomes more and more untenable, I think we move on to negotiation and eventually capitulation. But he wants to cut some kind of deal and at a very minimum remain the spiritual head of the Republican Party and possibly their odds-on favorite for the nomination in 2024. Well, I'm going to have to shift to another topic, but I want to express uh, my appreciation for the time you've spent with us. Seema Mehta, good to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Seema Mehta's political reporter of the LA Times. Ron Elving, good to have you with us as well. Always a pleasure, Michael. Thank you. Ron Elving is senior editor and correspondent on the Washington desk for NPR News. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.